Welcome to Random Thoughts Podcast, a show that discusses a variety of topics. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Hello, how are you guys doing today? Thank you for my second installment of Random Thoughts Podcasting. I hope you enjoyed the first one. Uh, today, I have a friend of mine, Sean Broughton, who we affectionately call Georgia. This is his nickname. Uh, he volunteers with me at the Sykesville Freedom District Fire Department in Maryland. Uh, but what we're going to talk today about is about building construction and not necessarily how it fits in with the fire department, but we will talk about that a little bit. But moreover, uh, building construction in general and what he's actually seeing in the fire service as well as what he's seeing out in the field when he's working, um, doing things like that. And we'll also talk a little bit about, you know, where he came from in the building uh, construction business and where he is now and some of the things that he's doing. So, Georgia, welcome to Random Thoughts Podcast. Um, so just let's start off by uh, talking about introduce yourself, who you are, and, and uh, you, a little bit of your history. Awesome. Uh, thanks for having me, Dave. Um, like you said, I'm Sean Broughton. I go by Georgia, particularly at the fire station. Um, been in the building trades professionally earning a check for it since I was 14. Uh, so, you know, that's 22 years ago. Um, and even further back than that, uh, we can get into that a little bit more. And I've been in the fire service. I joined as a cadet when I was 15. At Joppa Magnolia, actually, um, and then became a riding firefighter at 16, so 21 years I've been in the fire department. My history as far as building construction goes is uh, my daddy was actually a maintenance man many, many years ago, and we lived in the apartment complex where he worked in Ellicott City. It was called Town & Country back in those days. It's got a new name now. Uh, I guess enough people got shot that they needed to change the name <laughs> for marketing purposes. <laughs> anyway... Um, we moved there when I was, I don't know, five, I guess. And during the summer, my mom worked nights. So I would be at home, and a couple of days a week, when my dad was doing vacant unit stuff, he would bring me to work. So from five years old, six years old, I've been crawled up underneath the sinks with channel locks. And, you know, you'd be amazed where a six-year-old can fit where a 30-something-year-old man can't. Uh, so I've been for la for fixing broke shit for a long time. <laughs> Um, so, obviously, you know, starting at a young age, you learn how to, to turn a wrench. Uh, you know, a lot of us out here, we aren't as skilled at, at, at turning wrenches and, and banging nails and things like that. And I know for a fact you are definitely a jack-of-all-trades and, and you're a master of a lot, um, to, to coin a phrase a little differently. But uh, so, you know, I know the things that you can do. What have you learned along the way, starting, you know, when you were six years old underneath the sink, turning a wrench, you know, for your dad to, to growing up and the things that you learned? And, and then how did that translate into, you know what, I think I can do this and make a little bit of money on that. How did you uh, get, get that? How did that come about? Um, so in the many, many years I've been doing this, I've learned how to do plumbing very, very well, electrical very, very well. Uh, HVAC very very well carpentry painting sheetrock um, most of the basic trades the trades that I have also learned that I know that I hate um, is masonry and concrete and roofing um, 
I, I'm wired for hot weather, but I'm just not wired for hot weather and stupid, ignorant, hard work. Right? <laughs> um, so kudos to anybody that's listening that does any of those. You are more of a man than me, and I'm pretty proud of how manly I am. <laughs> um, you know, and there's not really much I can't do as far as when it comes to building a house, fixing a house, things like that. But along the way, one of the things that was very instrumental to me is I learned how to learn, not necessarily learned something I just learned how to learn I learned how to take what I was taught in one thing and apply it to everything else um, which has been very beneficial personally professionally in the fire service in all aspects of my life I've been able to apply that which has been very useful very useful and I, I know a lot of the things that you can do let's talk a little bit about for lack of a better terms your resume the things that you can do um, I, I know welding is on there and, and plumbing because you've done that stuff at the firehouse and at my house but talk about some of the other things that you can do and how does somebody that learned from turning a crescent wrench to banging a nail to all the way up to you know plumbing that meets code and stick welding and mig welding and tig welding and never went to school for that stuff how does somebody you know learn how to do that and, and to bring it more into perspective and I know I've said this a lot of times I can't see things in 3D where I know that you can take a look at something and say well this is how it's going to look trust me you know and, and then you can put it together but I can't see it in 3D until it, it actually is in front of me and built and I've always said that you know I'm the guy that will hold the other end of the board for you I, I can't do that so how did you learn how to do all of these trades <clears throat> even though you may not be certified or licensed or whatever but you're still really good at doing it and, and able to do it to the point where we trust that what you're doing is right. I've never said no uh, to anything. Any challenge that's ever been put in front of me, particularly when it comes to using my hands, I've never said no. I've also done calculations in my brain of what my time is worth. And if it's worth my time to figure it out and do it myself and pay $500 for a tool and learn how to do it and buy some scrap stuff to screw up at first until I get it figured out, then that's what I do. And then, you know, if I spend 500 bucks and a day figuring something out and a day doing the work, but somebody was going to charge me three grand to do it, I just saved 1500 bucks, you know? So um, it, it's just a cost benefit analysis is where most of it comes from. There are still things like, I can also work on vehicles. I'm very, very skilled at working on cars. But it's not something that I do every day. So for me to do something other than, you know, change an alternator, normal, like preventative, maybe a little bit deeper than preventative maintenance on a vehicle, it's just not worth my time. Because it's going to take me two weeks of two hours an evening. Now I'm not going to have a vehicle for that two weeks and, you know, run down the list or I could drop it off at a shop and pick it up five days later, four days later, and it's done and it's done with a warranty and all this other crap. So there, you know, that's where most of it came from. It just came from risk benefit, cost benefit analysis and saying, yeah, I'll figure that out. YouTube has been very beneficial in the last 10 years of my life. Right. Um, and like I said, just not saying no. It's something that knowing that I know how to learn, looking at something and, and saying I can apply what I learned about this trade into that and then just doing it. So... <clears throat> If we had some young listeners out here, uh, what would you say to them? You know, I'm not going to get political, but I, you know, my views on 
going out and having to get that college education so you can go out and get that great job. And we see the trade skills or the trade, uh, the people that work in trades is diminishing. And I don't know what it is, if it's the, the, the general view of the trade industry is, then, oh, well, that's beneath me, that's menial labor. But these dudes are making good money, and we are really uh, hurting, lacking for people that are skilled in, in trade labor like HVAC and plumbing. I mean, I just had an air conditioning problem yesterday, and luckily, you know, you, I talked to you on the phone. You t- kind of told me what was probably the problem, and then a buddy of ours came over. And I watched him, you know, change the motor out in my air conditioning in 25 minutes. Done. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I can't do. And he's wiring electricity. So what would you say to a young kid who's contemplating, oh, I got to take the SATs. Oh, I took them. I didn't make a great score. You know, I can't go and be a lawyer. I mean, we got enough lawyers in the world as it is now. And being a doctor is not as lucrative as it used to be. But the trades, in my opinion, I mean, that's a noble cause because, you know, I told my kids, if you don't want to go to college, you can go to trade school, and I'll pay for it. And remember, everybody needs heating and air conditioning. Everybody needs to go to the bathroom and have running water. Everybody needs to have power in their house. Everybody needs to be dry. Everybody needs to be dry. So what would you say to somebody who's young out there who's contemplating, should I have my parents shell out you know, eighty grand to go to a four-year college and maybe get a job starting off at 35000 a year? Or should I invest the time of, of going in and being a journeyman or whatever the very beginning portion is and making 35000 a year? And then when I finish my four or five years of trade school, while I'm also working because my union's paying for the school, to be able to make seventy-five, dollars $80,000 a year solid, knowing that I'm not getting laid off because those jobs are almost recession-proof. What would you have to say to a young kid? What advice can you give them? That's rambling, but... Yeah, it's a... <laughs> It's a it's a stupid good question. Uh, it's a really good question, and it's not just advice for the kids. It's advice for their parents too. Um, a little bit more about my history. So I did start when I was really really young, and my first paying job was turning schools over the summer when I was fourteen years old. The school system came through and said, "Hey, anybody want a summer job?" And a whole bunch of us raised our hand, and we went and filled out applications, filled out work permit applications, had some interviews, and they hired us to come in and fix desks and fix lockers and clean lockers and paint classrooms and all that stuff at 14 years old. Um, And I just stuck with it. What was beneficial for me personally is I grew up with computers in my classroom. So here I am, somebody that um, 22 years later has taken all the things that I've learned and uh, my sickening love for math and my ability to adapt one thing to another uh, at 32 years old I was the national director of maintenance for a healthcare company so at 32 I reached the pinnacle of my career and chose to walk away from it for personal reasons because my family was growing because I'm really good with my hands I know what people are bullshitting me and I can work a computer very well um I've never stepped foot in a college classroom. The only college classes I've ever taken that could relate to that are fire department classes, fire officer, the instructor classes, things like that. But I've never taken, you know, calculus or, you know, physics 201 or any of that stuff. So my advice is college isn't for everybody. If you 
struggled in school, which I did because the environment really wasn't right for me. I, I needed to be doing things. I needed to have my hands on stuff. I need I need somebody to teach me something. Then I need somebody to show it to me once. Then I need them to watch me do it. And then I need them to get the hell out of my way and let me keep doing it. I don't need to sit and talk about this math problem for 45 minutes because that's what the curriculum says. That's a waste of my time, your good breathing air, and and my abilities. Just let's keep moving. And if and if your mind and not necessarily your mindset's like that, but if I realized very early on that when I touched things, I could see an immediate difference, and that really meant something to me. That's one of the things I love about what I do. I can, like when I rehabbed your bathroom, every single day I was in there. At the end of the day, I could step back and be like, "All right, we made some progress. This is what we got done today. We didn't get as much done as we thought. This whipped our ass a little bit, whatever." But that's just the nature of it. So the advice is. To the parents, if your kids are telling you that they really don't want to go to college, that they don't think it's right for them, they're probably not wrong. I mean, because you're having these conversations with young adults. You're having these conversations with 14-plus-year-old children. And if they're like, you know what? You know I hate school. I know I hate school. Everybody in the neighborhood's got a broken bike comes to me to fix their bicycle. Maybe we're on to something here. Maybe that, like you said, I don't need to go to college to come out and possibly get a $35,000 a year job. I was making $35,000 a year, like 19 years old, you know, as a maintenance man. I was, you know, and I had the option to live on the property for free if I wanted to. I didn't want to because it was a Navy town and drunk sailors like to knock on your door because they locked themselves out, <laughs> which is cool, man, because I was probably drinking with half of them. But, um, so it's not all about that. It's not all about chasing the the great the great American dream of you know being able to put initials after your name and wearing a tie every day because like you said you need to stay warm you need to stay dry you need to stay being able to go to the bathroom inside and all that stuff so it's not it, the death of the trades which is something I, I definitely wanted to talk about is something that's horribly affecting our nation in general, and I'm with you. I don't really want to go down too much of a political tangent, but I'm wicked proud to be an American. Every day I wake up, you know what I mean? Like the meme says, I, I piss red, white, and blue, and my urologist said you should go talk to somebody. I told him he was a commie bastard, right? Like, <laughs> But I'm super proud to be an American. I'm super proud that people want to come here to make their lives better. I want them to do it the right way. That's probably a whole other podcast. Right. Um, but the moral of the story is these people are coming here because there's opportunity. There's opportunity for them to do the things that we as a culture look down on. We look down on the fact that a plumber has to use a snake to clean out shit from a drain. Until you need that plumber. Mm-hmm. And then that's the best dude you ever met in your life. Right. But meanwhile, that plumber is supporting his family with a good job and no college debt and is able to feed his family and you know steer his kids, help his kids come up through the trades, own a home, you know, all because they're willing to get a little dirty. And so what? Everybody mm-hmm. needs that person at some point in their life. There's there's that old saying everybody wants to make fun of a redneck until your car breaks down. That's a fact, Jack. <laughs> so, um, you know, I I've never you know ever have looked down at the guys who trade. I'm in awe because I know that if you know something breaks in my house, 
for the most part, I can fix some stuff, but mm-hmm. it, you know, when it starts getting into gas and electricity, nope, that stuff will kill me really quick and uh, definitely uh, could ruin ruin my uh, you know place that I live. So you know, it's good to have friends that know what they're doing, and, and I'm a firm believer of keeping keeping the money in with the friends, you know, that mm-hmm. know how they're doing it. And and I've always said, hey, friends are friends, but business is business. I'm going to pay you for your time. Um, the good thing about you know when when we redid my bathroom, you know, you showed me the stuff that we were doing and how it was going to work out, and those are things that I remembered. But um, to tackle a big project like that, a buddy of mine that used to do. Um, that kind of the, all construction and, and, and building and all that stuff on the side. He was a licensed contractor, and he's also a, a captain in Montgomery County. We Both of us re, finished my basement, and I think it turned out really well. He, he t- taught me a lot. But you're right. You know, I, I looked at, you know, there are kids out there that, you know, school is just like, man, this is a hassle. You know, as parents, it's our responsibility to make sure that they get their high school diploma. You know, it's our responsibility to push them to make sure that they get the education they need because we can't have a country full of dummies. But we got to give them the education that they need. But we also have to provide them with the opportunities and the avenues to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to go to Harvard or Brown or Columbia or Maryland or, or whatever. Um, I'm good with my hands. And, and uh, like Carroll County has a fantastic Votech school up in Westminster where you can – you name it, they will teach you from cosmetology all the way to drafting – which is another thing I forgot to mention. You're also good at CAD design. You just have the programs on your computer, and you figured it out. You didn't have to go to school for four years to learn how to do CAD design. You just figured it out. YouTube, baby. Yeah, YouTube is, is very helpful. So to all the parents out there that may be listening to this, and even some of the younger people that are out there listening to this, college is not the end-all, be-all. There are so many trades out there. We need so many trade-skilled workers in this country there are so many things that need to be done. I mean, they're trying to push this infrastructure bill through Congress right now. Um, you're going to need people that can do bridge work, steam fitting, iron work. I mean, 9-11, those, those iron workers, those dudes were gods. They were on top of these mangled buildings, cutting things down so we could get that area cleared um, you know, so, that, so that the country could recover. So at the heart of this entire country is a trade worker, and you don't have to go to college to get your liberal arts degree for art appreciation and hope that you can get that one in a million job working at the Smithsonian, refinishing art or, or whatever, you know, trying to make, you know, a living. You know, there's a reason why they call it starving artist. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, there are so many trades out there. So <clears throat> without beating that dead horse and, and moving forward, what, tell me something about, um, you know, the building construction and how it's been – you know, we talk about legacy building of how it was back in the day when, when they built stuff on site to over time how it has changed for the better for the building and cost wise, but for the worse fire department wise. Yeah, that's a really good, really good topic to go on. Um, so in the fire department, we consider we have modern and legacy construction and there's the five building types and all that jazz and we don't, won't go into that craziness but for the most part our bread and butter incidents are either legacy construction which is like 19 late 60s might maybe 1970 you might even get some overlap into the early 70s backwards that's what we would call legacy construction and then from that point forward is when you get into modern construction in my brain, it even goes further back than that. It goes further back to America as a nation. It, hell, even as an occupied land by modern 
I and that's kind of a, a loaded statement too because if you look at the Indians and stuff, they're pretty modern as well. But European um, influences in America goes back to the 1400s, maybe a couple hundred years before because of the Vikings or whatever. But so our country really isn't that old historically in our eyes. If you look at Europe, mm-hmm. there are wooden buildings in London that are eight and nine hundred years old. I mean these these places people still live in them. Right. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so our version of legacy construction is vastly different in other parts of the world. Um but the way the things that I've seen is is when you go back to something that almost everybody has near them and not even just fire department just everybody that could be listening to this within an hour of your house there's farmland i mean it's it's america that's what makes it great one of those farmhouses is built by wood that was cut down and hand hewed right there um and that stuff was is cut out of good lumber cut to size right there put into place uh, and then that became inefficient. That became inefficient because people needed houses faster and more houses. So that that developed into what we would even consider legacy construction, like balloon frame construction and uh, things of that nature. So inefficiencies that have driven the building trades, particularly as it relates to the fire department, have gone back... We see legacy and and modern, but really there's true legacy, legacy and modern. True legacy is stuff that's 1860 plus. Maybe like heavy timber. Heavy timber or even even some stuff a little bit newer than that. Um, But so the inefficiencies in that type of building have have probably the turn of the century in the 1900 forward is really when it started to change the way that things were being done. Um, and it was just because of cost savings. That's when trades started to being started to be born because it, when there was hand hewn lumber right there, it was you, your neighbor, and your kids and your family doing that work. Well, eventually, when you need to stand houses up faster for more people, you can't do that anymore. So now you need somebody to do it for you, and you and the amount of time, and that's where it all comes in. Time is money, and that. That phrase is applicable across everything. Time is money. Unless you're Amish. <clears throat> Unless you're Amish. That's right. But guess whose buildings last forever? Amish. Amish. <laughs> <laughs> so and we can talk about them because they're not listening to that, this. That's anyway. a fact. That's a fact. Um, but everything we've said so far is good. Right. Um, I mean, I would love to live the kind of life where time wasn't beating on my <laughs> door every day. So uh, those inefficiencies have driven even the balloon frame style and making of rafters and things like that. The stuff that we look at as still strong built structures were really born the same way that modern construction was born from that. Time, money, skill level, um, things like that really what have driven all of that. A lot of it is time. Most of it is money. Money is a big part of it. So what kind of stuff are we seeing now? Um, you know, I know that you know you talk about um, uh, roof construction. Just taking that for instance, you know, where you used to have a ridge beam, you don't even a ridge what you don't even have one of those anymore. Um, everything is 
Uh, well, it went from nailed in place to gusset place. Now they're like finger joints with glue. Yeah, it's so, so talk. Let's move forward and talking about you know some of the 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 modern construction. You know, for for a fire department term is lightweight construction, but it's modern construction. Um, that you're seeing that it's good for the building construction cost wise, which is being passed on to the uh, the consumer. And that's how it's able to build stuff quicker. Like developments are going up in you know, six months. You can get a townhouse development up, you know, yeah. with all these people working. So what are we seeing that's, that we're seeing modern now? Some of the newer things that are out on the market, because I know I've seen some, some a lot of crazy stuff out on the market, have benefits to building construction person that's beneficial towards building construction and the consumer versus not so beneficial or detrimental to the fire service and what we see it out of that. So let's eliminate the ultra-legacy buildings and only talk about the ones that we go to typically all the way up into now. So we used to see solid lumber rafters, right, and solid lumber joists. True, not even necessarily true. It could be a a current term of 2x6 or 2x8 or 2x12. And for those of you who don't know, a a 2x4 is actually an inch and three quarters by three and a half inches. It is not two inches by four inches. You open up an old wall and it's dark brown and it looks bigger than what you buy at Home Depot, that's a true by four. It's a true two inch by four inch, two by four. Those have gone away to the wayside. Now they account for the width of the blade and the cuts and it's a whole bunch of crap. But um, a two by eight will hold a shitload of weight. It just will. But even back to money and things like that, it's easier to find trees that are will only produce two by fours and it is for trees that'll produce two by eights. And if I can produce eight two by fours out of the same tree, I could produce four two by eights, but my two by fours I'm gonna generate more income out of. It's simple business. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna make a shitload of two by fours. Mm-hmm. I mean it's I mean it's economics. So you used to see these real rafters stretch from load bearing wall to load bearing wall and with a bridge load bearing wall in the middle and nailed in place and rim joints and rim joists rather going wrapping around and holding it all together and then they would deck the next floor with like really good plywood and and move up and plywood what's that yeah right you don't see that anymore you gotta look for it at home depot there's like 15 sheets and there's you and eight other guys fighting over it um and all the way up to um, rafters and things like that and the roofs where they would be true 2 by 6s and, and 2 by 8s and they would have the ridge board like you're talking about where they'd meet in the middle over top of that uh, that middle load bearing wall um, and that was easier than hand hewing lumber right they, it could be mass produced nobody knew needed to know how to use hand tools to shape lumber they just needed to know how to swing something that weighed 22 ounces at something the size of a you know a little smaller than a dime and that was it like you know know how to operate a saw and not cut off parts of your body mm-hmm. and you only do that once right and you figure that shit out right um and now it's gotten away from that and gotten into what we consider lightweight and modern construction which is the the uh rafter systems which meant that they could take the lumber that we used to throw away because it was too warped or too chipped or too junky, and some guy sitting behind a desk could draw in his AutoCAD system that if we use six two-by-fours and we build it this way and, and nail them all together, 
Um, that'll work. That'll be just as good as a two by eight. Okay, well let's do that. And now, now it's showing up already manufactured. You don't need to know how to cut any of it. You just need to figure out how to get it up in the air, set it on top of the walls, and nail it in place. That's it. There's no so they've taken away more of the thought of the trade, give, shifted it back to the engineers, and taken away some more of the skill, which makes it cheaper. Cheaper for the person to build it, cheaper for the materials, goes up faster. Um, and that applies to everything, not just roofs. That applies to, I've seen them build entire apartment complexes with pre-built walls. Semi-flatbed semi-trucks will show up with numbered walls, and there's a crane there that's just picking them up three or four at a time, and the guys stand them up, nail them together, stand them up, nail them together. So somewhere else, this apartment complex was built, stacked on a trailer, and shipped to where it had to go. So the people that were on the other end probably could have done it without a tape measure. I mean, so it's just getting further and further down. Like they put some more of the time over here, a little bit less of it there. So now they can be building the walls while your concrete's being poured. So it shows up faster, it goes up faster, time is money. Mm -hmm. um, we've gotten to where you have a wooden I-beam floor joists, which is not even two by fours, it's two by threes. Have a channel cut out of it and a piece of half inch OSB between it, which is what replaced plywood. OSB stands for ornamental strand board, which is basically the chips of lumber from the outside of a tree because a tree is round, two by fours are square, so there's always crap stuff around the edges. They would shave it all off. Well, guess what? They figured out if they glue that shit together, heat it up, heat it up real good. Now we got a now we got a sellable material, OSB. Cheaper than plywood. Cheaper than plywood. So now they've taken they found another way to turn scrap into something. Um, and it's taken it, so that and it's cheaper and it's you know, not necessarily easier to work with or anything. It's the same basic product. Um, and some guy sitting behind a desk, and God bless them because they got to make a living too, figured out how to do this stuff and make this stuff cheaper and easier. And so now we're seeing what used to be a two by eight is now two two by threes stacked in a non load bearing way with a piece of OSB stretched between them that's supposed to carry the load. On paper, works great. In AutoCAD, works great. By code, perfectly acceptable. When it's on fire, it's junk. And that's that's where you where we come in into the fire department. You know, when it's not being stressed, it's awesome. perfectly acceptable. It's great. Perfectly and it's, acceptable. And it's fairly strong. You know, we talked about the roof system. That was the birth of the truss roof system, um, which is strong. Triangle is the strongest shape in geometry. But the problem runs into is when it's under stress, as in on fire. And when you lose a component to a truss or a component to the floor, you have catastrophic failure. Yeah, the entire system is now compromised. So when they're de designing the system, they're not designing it for the one truss. They're designing it for the 50 trusses that are required to carry this load. So when you have one single failure in any of those trusses, the entire roof system is now compromised. Whether it's all going to fail or not, I don't, I, I, you won't, you don't know. Right. But I don't want to be the guy to help figure it out. Right. 
We also don't know, you know, were mistakes made when it was put in because it's in the attic and it's covered up. And I remember and when I go out and teach um, truck company operations, we talk about roof stuff. And I actually went up in my townhouse when I used to live in, in Columbia, Maryland, and I went up and took some pictures of – just wanted to get some pictures of what a truss system looked like in gusset plates. And I found two truss components that had fallen off of the gusset plates and were just hanging there. So, And there's two of them. Yeah. So and that's just a townhouse roof. So I knew right away that you know my roof system was compromised. Probably not going to come down on me, but if it was on fire, it would fail a lot quicker for if we put somebody on the roof. Or under two foot of snow. Or under two foot of snow. Um, so that kind of came, the birth of that lightweight construction or the modern construction or whatever you want to call it. It's great economical wise. It was allowing for things to get built a lot quicker and to be able to move to the next project. Um, Hopefully those cost savings were passed on to the consumer. The problem comes into it on the fire service side is when it's under stress, it uh, you know if it takes us anywhere from five to eight minutes to get on the scene of something that's currently burning um, where there's no drywall, like in an attic area or whatever, we, we're already way behind the oh, eight ball. Yeah. So you know when it comes to the fire service, you know building construction is, is extremely important. Now before we move into you know the, the fire service stuff. Let's talk about the trades that you're going to see. You know, we get back to the trades, and, and you have carpenters and, and, and all that stuff that are putting all this stuff together. But when you have, let's just say we have a townhouse development. Let's get with the apartment developments going, a garden apartment development. What are the trades that are going to be there working? And more, more what, what trades are you going to see working, and what kind of work are they going to be doing, and, 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 and how busy are they on, the, on these uh, jobs they're pretty busy i want to close the loop on something before we get too much further if we if we look at timelines right and we look at um the the change from ultra legacy to legacy was when people started to come together Mm -hmm. and and need towns and cities and things like that suburbs right Mm -hmm. what happened right at the time that um we went from legacy to modern construction. And this is kind of a, it's an odd question, but we're talking about the late 60s, early 70s. Where were we as humans going? Well, I know, you know, like Levittown started like right after the mm-hmm. war. And my parents lived in Greenbelt, Maryland. My grandparents lived in Greenbelt, Maryland, which was a town built right after the war. And as we were leaving the city and the rioting and all that mm-hmm. stuff, we wanted to get out into the suburbs. Um, the suburbs weren't necessarily heavily evolved it those are your farmlands yeah um so you know if that's where you're going at no, you know i'm going with the fact that in 1969 we put a man on the moon true what's the coolest shit you could ever say you got to see in your life putting a human being on the moon right so where do you think the culture of america went at that point right engineering mm-hmm. the maths the sciences the look at what you can do maybe you should also go to college Sure. So in the late 60s, early 70s is when people stopped being steered into manual labor and started being steered into university. Not a problem. We reached the tipping point at some point in time. I can't pinpoint that. But that's when things really started to shift. That's when 9 to 5 no longer became 9 to 5. It became you're here until you're done. And I don't care if that's 12 hours. Sorry about your young kids. You know, um, that's when that stuff started to change. So... So how so if you look at this in timelines, not only with building construction but with cultural impacts at the same time, it all kind of lines up. There's less people to to teach how to do this skilled stuff because now they want to learn how to send people to space. Right. You know. Um, 
So I just wanted to close the loop on that because you can really apply the one things to the other. I don't want people to think that, that I'm beating up college at all because oh, no. you need the engineers out oh, there. I God, mean, yeah. if, if you're going to go to college, you know, you get into engineering, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of engineering you get into. It's needed. Uh, engineers are needed throughout every facet of, of – um, we're building a rescue squad. We're going to talk to five different types. Right. You know, I mean, they're, they're, I'm also I'm with you. I'm not beating college to death no. because everybody's needed. There's a place for everybody. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the shift is going towards there's not a place for people to work with their hands. And, and and that's going to be a big problem for us in America if we don't have the people, the skilled labor. Correct. And, you know, not just the labor that's going out and can swing a hammer, but you need to be able to swing a hammer to be able to see the big picture of swinging a hammer and building the entire picture, not just throwing a nail in a two-by-four, and then the next one comes down the line, you throw a nail in a two-by-four. Yeah, four. and this and that ties into what you just asked me before about the um, about what trades you're going to see there working mm-hmm. and whether they're going to be busy. It all starts with the with the uh, civil crews. They come in, and you know, it's all surveyed, right? So there's people out there that find a piece of rebar that was drove into the ground 70 years ago that marked the corner of a property line, and they use tools to mark using that one known peg to mark out everything. And then they mark out limited disturbance, like how far you can actually do work. And then they mark out some elevation stuff. And then people show up bulldozers and backhoes and chainsaws and start falling trees and changing the face of the earth. And then the concrete company shows up and they start digging the footers and they start pouring the concrete and setting the rebar. Um, And then, you, you know, and before that even, there's plumbers there. Um, and the electrical contractors, they need to come in and put their underground utilities in. Water doesn't come into your building from the air. It penetrates <laughs> your slab somewhere. So before the concrete guys start digging footers, the plumber needs to come in and say, here's where the water's going to come in per this blueprint. right? And then they stub it up and then it's hanging out the other side of the building. And then the concrete guys will come and dig their footers. And then the carpenters will show up and start framing stuff. <clears throat> and if it's a complex, a garden-style apartment complex, the framers are framing what the concrete guys just finished. The concrete guys are working on the next building, right? And then as the framers move to that building, the concrete guys build, move to building three. Well, now in building one, while the framers are building building two, you have the window guys drying it in. You have the plumbers and the, the sprinkler guys and the electricians um, and the sheetrock guys and and, you know, and some of them have to come back twice. Like plumbers and electricians have two forms. They have rough in and finish out. So somebody comes and pulls all the wires and puts in all the boxes and leaves all the wires stubbed out in the boxes. Same with plumbing. They come and run it all and they leave little stubs hanging out of the wall. Sheetrock guy comes in. They hang the sheetrock and stuff. And then the painters come and paint it. And then the electricians and plumbers have to go back. Um, and the sprinkler guys, they have to go back. And the fire alarm guys, they have to go back and now finish the work that they started. So they're back in building one, and, and in building two, the sheetrock guys are now in there. And there's usually two different crews. So you know, the finish guys are in one, sheetrock guys are in two, but in building three, because the concrete guys are now building four or five, you know, and it just marches down the line. Um, and there's a skill managing that chaos, which one of the reasons I've been so successful at it is because I treat them all like a fire treat everything like a fire everybody's got a job it needs to be done at a certain time i don't need to do your job for you i just need to tell you what you need to do and when i need you to do it that's it you figure out how to do it um and it's the same with construction and and there's 
software platforms for that. Microsoft Project comes to mind where you lay it out on a calendar or lay it out on a Gantt chart and say concrete framing, da-da-da-da-da, and it steps down. It makes a really nice, cool-looking graph. It's really fancy when you print on big paper and stick it on the wall. People Which I think we have one for our rescue squad. We do have one for the rescue squad. <laughs> um, but there's another skill that doesn't necessarily require college but is also not necessarily um, swinging the hammer. That's where people can see 3D. That's where people can see the big picture. That's where people can know whether somebody's falling behind and what resources they need to pick up the pace. Because, again, time is money. When, you, when all of that started, the developer, who is not always the owner, and the GC entered into an agreement with the architect. Um, it's an A1A contract, uh, or AIA, American Institute of Architects contract, typically. And in that, there is an end date. And at that end date, from that day forward, there's something called liquidated damages. So, if you're not done by June 1st and, and have turned it over to the ownership, people are paying the owners upwards of $10,000 a day that it is not complete. So it's now a race to a finish line. So time is money. Being able to schedule that stuff and manage that stuff, build relationships with the tradesmen, that way their superintendents can count on you to help them because you're gonna, they're gonna help you and vice versa. Um, at, in some of my project management roles and in some of my construction management roles and owner representative roles, you would be amazed what on Friday, a case of water in the morning, a case of water and a pizza in the afternoon, and a case of beer at the end of the day will get you done that day. <laughs> it will get a lot of shit done. Um, and it, it's just, but now those guys know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you, but I'm going to take care of you. So now they can count on me and I can count on them. So there's a lot of other things that come into this other than being able to run a drain snake or pull wires. There's the relationship building. There's the trust factors. There's the scheduling factors. All this stuff comes into play, and that's a skill. That's a skill that you have to you're, you have to develop and, and be able to build on that. Um, so the question about who all is going to be working, all those people are going to be working, but somebody's got to manage it too. Sure. That's, it's like any leadership role. You have to have some type of leadership Skill, you know, and, and depends on how you work your people. It depends on the type that'll that'll be dependent on the type of work you're going to get from them. You take care of your people and know that you know you care about them, and you're going to get good work. Um, if you treat them like crap, you're going to get crap work, and they're not going to like working for you. So yeah. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. Um, I know uh, I want you to talk about the class that you're actually producing for the Maryland Fire Rescue Institute. Um, you know, you're, you're putting together this building construction class for the fire service. So kind of give us an overview of uh, what that class is going to be like and, and what things you're looking at. And what, where did you come from? Like, hey, you know, there's a niche. This needs to happen. It's not happening. How did it all come about? So I, as my two careers have developed, I've always looked at how they interact with one another. And, and building construction has always been a passion of mine. Obviously, the fire department has always been a passion of mine. And building construction as it relates to the fire service has always been a burning passion of mine. 
I remember the first time I took a building construction class, I was 18 or 19 years old, and it was in Georgia. I had to drive from where I lived in Southeast Georgia to the State Fire Academy in Foresight, and it was the NFPA course, the building construction for or combustible and non-combustible, building construction for fire service. Two different classes, they're like 16 hours each, and they weren't bad. Um, they weren't great, but they weren't bad, and I remember first day of both classes they went around the room who are you where are you from whatever whatever I was the only person in that room that was not taking it as a requirement to be a fire officer I was 19 I was 19 and I remember when they got to me I was like hi I'm Sean Broughton I'm 19 years old I'm taking this because I don't want to die you know what I mean like mm -hmm. not because it's required to ride the front seat I don't want to die um, because I realized how this shit works that class has been phased out by the University of Maryland. Still exists. Like I said, it's not a horrible program. I actually took that class. Had to take that class. Yeah. To be an officer? Nope. Took the class because it was part of, you know, it's moving, progressing forward as a firefighter. And, yeah. Uh, it was one of the requirements. It was uh, combustible and non-combustible building construction. Yep. It was over my head. We were using Brannigan's third edition, which was way over my head. Yeah. So, um, the desire from the students in Maryland was we need this. And they were so. If you're listening and you're from Maryland, um, Miffrey does listen. I say that as a Miffrey instructor. The caveat is, you, not everybody's going to get what they want, right? But Miffrey does listen. Miffrey listens to a lot of things. Miffrey also doesn't listen to a lot of crap. <laughs> but whatever. That's that's a whole other podcast, right? Um, Miffrey listens, and the students, and the chiefs, and the officers, and the firefighters in the state were screaming, "We need something for this. It's changing too fast." Um, and they put out a thing, you know, hey, who's interested in developing this class? And I immediately raised my hand, started jumping up and down, sending emails to everybody and their brother, and I was selected for the committee. Um, and it all started with, we looked at the IFSTA book and the Brandon book. Uh, and there, our first session was, what book do we want to use and how do we want to do it? And we decided that we wanted to make two classes. We wanted to make Building Construction 1 and Building Construction 2. Building Construction 1 is tailboard firefighter, junior officer. This is what it is. This is what happens when it's exposed to fire. This is what happens when it fails. This is what to look for. Um, and that's the class we developed. We chose the IFSTA book because, like you said, Brannigan, God love him, smart as shit, way over a lot of people's heads, mm -hmm. um, particularly the people that were taking it because he talked a lot about strategy and tactic to people that it didn't matter to at that time. Um so that's why we split that up and it's actually in its final productions now it's um we went through the book line by line by line by line built lesson plans built powerpoints i dug through my archive of pictures from the 20 years i've been doing this and submitted a lot of stuff and um brought a lot of personal knowledge to it which was great because it i really feel a, a giant sense of achievement in it um and once this class is released I, i'd imagine it'll be released in pilot maybe in the fall mm -hmm. possibly spring um and then we'll start working on number two now and you know nothing against brandon but with his second and third edition which is you know i had as study guides and things like that when i was taking my promotional tests his fourth edition was written by him and another gentleman and i can't remember his name off the top of my head but obviously for those who don't know francis brandon has, has passed away um his fourth edition, I would recommend anybody go get it because he actually brought it down to the firefighter level with yes. color pictures, 
bigger bigger uh, font so you can actually you know read it instead of this real tiny font. It was like reading it's, an unabridged dictionary, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a really good book, and I would I would encourage everybody to go out and get it and, and keep it on your uh, your bookshelf because it it actually broke down a lot of the building construction terms that you didn't know what they were. It actually told what they were, and then they actually had a picture of what it was. Yeah. So. So now, is there a second class that's coming with this building construction too? Is is that the, going through the IFSTA manual as well? No, or? we'll probably use the Brandon manual for that. Okay. In the fourth or fifth edition, I think it's passed up now. I can't remember which one it's at now. Um, we'll probably use that uh, because the first one, like I said, is designed for the tailboard firefighter. Right. It's designed for to not kill yourself. Right. Um, the second one is designed to not kill your people. Right. Uh, and that's the key. Um, and and in the 16 life-saving initiatives, and that what it is? Mm-hmm. One of them is, say, if you see something, say something. If right. something's not safe, say something. Right. Well, the more people we can empower with this knowledge, it's huge. I, I, I'm going to side tangent a little bit. I won't let it go too crazy. As a MIFRI instructor, my favorite classes to teach are Firefighter 1, Firefighter 2, Truck Company Ops. I like teaching Firefighter 1 because I can take somebody off the street. I could literally walk over to highs and grab almost everybody. We know some of the normal right. crowd, but I could grab almost anybody, drag them into a classroom, and in 40 hours, I could have them able to stretch a hand line. In 108 hours, I've turned them into a functional person on a fire ground. Would I call them a firefighter? Borderline. But I've turned them into somebody that can do something. They're not just a bystander at this point. And another 60 hours after Firefighter 2, I've taken those basic skills, I've honed them into somebody that I can now trust. I can And I can trust this person to, if I'm the first arriving officer, my driver's busy as shit, I got to set up command, I got to do 360s, I got to do those things. I can look in the back, and if I got somebody that's got Firefighter 2, I can say, I need you to take a hose line and go into the burner building and put the fire out. You know, and like, I don't need to babysit them, right? right? I can trust that they can at least start to accomplish that task while I got to do what I got to do. Right. Um... And I like truck company ops because firefighters ride the engine, firemen ride special service. That's right. Um, there's, an, there's an old saying, your mom's proud of you when you are a firefighter riding a fire engine, but your dad's proud of you when you're on a truck company. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> um, so That was from Frank Ritchie. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. I might use that one again. Um, but in all three of those classes, all three of those classes, there is probably... 12 hours of discussion on building construction. 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is 108, 168 plus another 24. I mean, that's 190-something hours of education, classroom or hands-on education, and 12 hours of it's dedicated to building construction. Right. That's a failure in our system. Missing a, missing a mark. Missing a mark. And there's a... Truck company ops is heavy on ventilation, obviously, but really there's only like – that's a 24-hour class. There's really probably only six hours of discussion on ventilation. Um, and, and this is where my side tangent goes in. Uh, and, and, and here's where I, diver, uh, I deviate from Francis Brannigan. Fra- Brannigan said the building is your enemy. That is not the case. The building is your battleground, plain and simple. The fire is your enemy. Fire is always your enemy. If you go all the way back to ancient generals, the ones who knew their battleground and the ones that knew what resources they were going to need and picked where the fight was going to be are typically the ones that were victorious. Know your battleground, right? The things that kill firefighters today on a fire ground, not heart attacks, none of that other stuff, true fire line of duty deaths, 
failures in building construction, and improper ventilation. Those are the two things that do it. Um, the third thing is people getting lost in, in running out of air. Right. Um, and some of that can even be tied back to building construction. Mm-hmm. You know, knowledge of what, where you're going to find an exterior wall. Um, but the, so those are the three biggies. The two real biggies are failures of buildings and improper ventilation. So here we are, we're talking about 190-something hours of education that's going to put you on a special service piece of equipment that you are going to be sent to do work without protection of a hose, sometimes by yourself, with maybe 12 hours of education on the battleground and maybe 12 hours of education on what happens if you take out the wrong window. There's a huge gap in this, a Mm -hmm. huge gap in this. But meanwhile... You know how to tie 17 different knots that you'll never use. You know how to hoist an axe onto a roof. Son, if you didn't bring an axe up onto the roof with you and you, you thought should, you were going to need it. shouldn't have been on the roof. Go inside with the hose. <laughs> like, that's where you belong. Right. Right? Like, so so the as a fire service, is general, in general, we are doing ourselves and our future a disservice. We're fighting less fires than we were before. And the fires that we are fighting are, are now split down the middle between new construction and legacy construction. And the fuels that are in fires are making them burn faster and making them burn hotter and making construction fail faster. And we're doing it less often with people that are less experienced, that are less educated in the environment that they're going into and what happens when you make bad decisions. And much like the trades, it is also going to reach a tipping point. The tipping point is going to be, screw it, we don't go into burning buildings anymore. Or the tipping point is going to be, we kill a bunch of firemen. I'm not interested in either. I didn't join the fire department to roast marshmallows outside. I joined the fire department because I like busting down doors and going into burning buildings. Like that's, you know, it's the most dopamine and adrenaline you'll ever get without in, in doing something. Putting a gun in your hand and going into battle. Yeah, which right. I'm not about doing. I'm not about doing that either. Um, you know, that's why I joined the fire department. Right, but I've also been to several line of duty death funerals, and fortunately, knock on wood, I didn't know any of them personally. That didn't stop me from shedding a tear. Right, so let's. So I don't want to be. A, I want to be what changes that tipping point. I want everybody around me to be the part of what changes that tipping point. I don't want to have to go knock on anybody's door and tell them that I was at an incident and your significant other died there. None of us want to do that, but unfortunately, the way that the culture and the education and the construction and all of that is coming together, we're getting closer and closer and closer to that tipping point every day. The um, and, and we'll wrap this up. I know that uh, you know I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing your class come out because I want to incorporate some of that into the truck company operations, and that's one of the biggest things that I talk about: the limited building construction. I know. Um, I talk about the building construction is if you're going to write a special service, you need to know how these buildings are built. And you need to know that when you are doing overhaul and you're starting to smack joists and studs and everything out, and, hey, that's a bearing wall. And if somebody says a bearing what, we got a problem. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in, in seeing the finished product of this. And, and, uh, and, and as it relates, you know, going all the way back from being working in the trades and building construction and knowing what that stuff is all the way up to – how they come apart when they're under stress, under fire, under weather conditions and things like that is it's something that's extremely important to have an understanding of if you're in the fire service. And if you decide that, you know, hey, you know what, college isn't for me, I want to get my hands dirty, that's where I feel great, knowing that whatever trade you enter into 
they all tie together with how you do your work versus how the firefighter does his work, um, you know, whether it's electrical work, concrete work, framing, um, all that stuff. It, it all ties together. And um, I think that uh, it, it, it hopefully this is going to give people a, an avenue to think about of college isn't for me. There's many trades out there. The best part about trade school is if you get hooked up with the right union, they're going to pay for your school. They're not going to pay you to go to school, but they'll pay for your school and you'll have a job. It doesn't even have to be a union. There are no. a lot of contractors that are now in a spot where they're doing that. Right. That they're paying for these people to go to the schools because it's beneficial to them. Right. You know, um, we both know somebody who, who worked, you know, um, Brian worked for Adam here at the fire department and Adam sent him to school. Not in the union, just a, just a contractor doing the right thing for somebody who's doing the right thing for him. Right. So um, there are people out there that don't suck still. Right. Um, and uh, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a union, but the fact of the matter is that the opportunity is there. You yeah. just, you just got to get it. You got to take it. And, and, and uh, we need skilled laborers. We need people that can work with their hands and their minds at the same time because it's not – you know, being in the trade is, is not about swinging a hammer anymore. It's that, but you also have to have your brain behind it because there's a lot of things that go into uh, building and things like that. So I don't have anything else to add. Um, I, I am very happy that you came and sat down with us and, and, and talked about this building construction stuff because, you know, if it's on my mind, it's got to be on somebody. I can't be the only one. Um, so, Georgia, thank you for coming out. Thank you for being part of this. And, no problem. Uh, you know, stay tuned. Uh, I'm going to probably do this on a monthly uh, um, as a monthly show, so I'm not sure what the next month's show is going to be. It'll just I'll be driving down the road and I'll say, you know what, I want to talk about that. Um, so, with that being said, Georgia, thanks for coming in and thank you for tuning in to Random Thoughts and uh, hope to uh, hear some uh, hear from you guys. You, you got my email. It's it's on uh, the iTunes site or the Spotify site. You can send me an email or a text message. Um, if you have some ideas for some shows, don't hesitate to drop me a line. And uh, until next month, thanks. See you.